I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Good morning, Celtics fans. Happy Friday. You see, I have a sound happy. It's because it's nearly the weekend, just a few more hours. And then there's basketball. So, you know, weekend equals basketball. Not weekend equals basketball. The season is back, baby. As usual, for the Friday episode, I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir. You can hear him already. He's hyped. I'm hyped too. Will, man, you are... You got to watch the game in real time. I fell to sleep at halftime because it was like 2 a.m. and I was just done. Uh, yeah. And how did, how did you handle it, man? Because that must have been a... You must have had palpitations, right? <laughs> First off, bro, happy belated birthday. Uh, happy birthday to you, my friend. Unfortunately, the Celtics could not pull out a victory for you on your birthday. I know you did your best to stay up and watch the first half. Second half went a little bit too late into the wee hours for you over there. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, in live time, and, and you know, we're recording this on, on Thursday. Y'all here in this Friday morning, but we're recording this on Thursday, like late afternoon, my time, late, even later, Adam's time. I'm still tired. Like, I don't know how, like, even if you heard Julius Randle get interviewed after the game where he was like, man, I just want to go home and eat and go to bed. Like yeah. that, like that's like I like I've never felt more connected to an NBA player in their comments <laughs> after a game because I was sitting there watching, and when I say sitting there, I'm using that term loosely because I was standing from the last six minutes of the fourth quarter through the end of double overtime. I don't think I sat down. I just paced around my living room. I you know I like I, I didn't even realize what I was doing. It was uh it was an imperfectly perfect game, Adam. Uh, what what a great game for opening night. I know we didn't pull out the win, but it was so much fun. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that that game last night, and like I said, I'm still recovering. Yeah, sometimes you need to take a step back from the fandom and just enjoy the sport, right? Because as a game, as a spectacle, that was the best way for us as Celtics fans and for Knicks fans and for any like um you know, neutral that was sitting there watching the game. That was such a good mm-hmm. curtain raiser. It had absolutely everything. It was um, the atmosphere. I really, I said this to you before we came on here. I need to go to a game at MSG. Yeah, need, man. Yeah, I just need to. I'm not going to wear anything Celtics related because I've seen some of this. Oh, I'm afterwards. bringing it, man. I'm bringing it. Let's go. Now, let's get <laughs> full green. Okay, I, I, might, I might even do like the David Putty and get some like face paint going. Like we might need to bring it all out if we go to the garden. We going in strong. We going in with force. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying though, like not only will I be the outsider because I'm in the Boston gear, I start speaking <laughs> and I'm just like. Like, nah, dude, I'm dressing as one. I'm just not wearing team affiliate clothing. Yeah. You might you might break a New Yorker's brain if you showed up in Celtics gear and then started talking. They'd be like, wait a minute. I don't I don't know how to insult you or fight you. I'm confused. I don't know what's happening right now. I'm not getting into a fight in America. You you um you guys need to keep me safe. <laughs> you guys need to keep me safe. But um seriously though, jokes aside, like it was a <laughs> It was a really fun game to watch. It was, man. man. It was, it was, it was, it, the thing was, like, obviously, you know, in, in American sports, we don't really have ties for the most part. If there was ever a game where, honestly, like, it probably should have ended in a tie, this was like a heavyweight fight where it's like, okay, this was such a grueling, you know, grudge match back and forth with guys just absolutely gassed by the end of it. Like, this was one of the few examples where, a tie may have been actually acceptable as a final result because that's kind of the way it felt, especially in that you know second over the in those two overtimes. 
uh, when you could really tell, like, the first three minutes of, I think, the first overtime was some of the most electric basketball I've ever seen where just nobody could miss a shot. And then it felt like for the next three minutes, two and a half minutes of that overtime and the next overtime, it was like maybe there was, I don't know, maybe four shots made in total. And it felt like everyone <laughs> was slipping and falling at every opportunity they got because they were just that out of breath. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think about like the, to- the physical toll an NBA game would take on your body anyway. And then add two overtime quarters onto that. And now you now imagine the most tired you've ever been. And you're trying to win. Like Jalen Brown post game made me, uh, I, I was chuckling a few times with Jalen Brown. Like, go back and watch his press conference after the game. And he was like, he's talking about, like, um, oh, you know, I was that tired. I could feel my heart, I could hear my heartbeat. And like, that's <laughs> like, I didn't find that funny because I'm like, yo, you're getting over COVID. But, and he's just like, but it would have been okay if we'd won. And I'm like, yeah. that's made me chuckle because I'm like, he's being deadly serious. He's like, yo, I would have ran through brick walls for the win. But now I'm gonna put myself through all of this, and we didn't even get the win, and he just sounded so dejected with it. Uh, and I mean, we, we I think we need to start with Jalen Brown. I of think course, I'm being honest. My God, <laughs> I mean, that's like, all you can say. That's all, like I don't even know what else you, what else you start with. My God, that's that's but, the way to begin. For real, man. Like, um, one of the biggest things for me, like I, I tweeted this out, was um, how much. He's beating guys off the dribble now. So, like, he tightened his handle up last year, and the year before that, he developed his left hand. So, he developed his left hand two seasons ago, tightened the handle up last year. This year, he's beating guys off the dribble, which is obviously the next evolution of that handle development. But what, what stood out to me, I think it was in the third quarter, he had, like, um, he done, like, a jab step, crossed the guy over, jab stepped again, and then done, like, a drag back dribble and created so much space for a mid-range jumper. Now, the jumper didn't fall, but that space creation is something you've never seen really from Jalen Brown before. He's always been more of a catch-and-shoot guy or attack you on the rip-through and get to the hoop. Creating space off the dribble is a completely new development. And uh, look, man, he was fantastic around the rim. He was fantastic from free. But that space creation, if that's for real, if he can do that consistently, like people need to watch out, man, because all of a sudden, along with his uh, passing improvements, which we saw in that game as well, how do you guard him? Yeah, and and the thing is, Jalen Brown, he does this every year. Every year, and, and I tell myself I'm not going to do it, that I'm just like, you know, Jalen, hey, it's really great that Jalen got to an all-star game last year. He's way surpassed. He was almost a 25-point-per-game scorer. It's, it's really tough to imagine Jalen Brown getting better. And I feel like every single year of his career, I go into, into the season saying that. And very early on in this year, especially early on, he's already proven me wrong. He's all, he's already showing signs of his game that are going to the next level. Uh, it's it's just it's crazy to watch. You talked about his handle. Like I was, I, I know his handle got better last year, but as tight as it was, especially in that first quarter, you know, before a little bit of fatigue later on in the game starts setting in. Man, it was so compact and tight, and in tight spaces too. It wasn't like he was just operating on the wing, not in traffic. He was in traffic making these moves, making spin moves to the middle, spin moves to the baseline. He just had an array of moves. And then on top of that, if you're adding in that Jalen Brown's about to start start be able to take and make logo three-point shots, logo J, if he can start to do that, I mean, like, granted, he's not going to take it every shot, but that shot he hit on Fournier towards the end of the fourth quarter was one of the most impressive shots that I've seen. It was unbelievable. I thought it had zero chance of going just because just of the distance, the defense, 
the timing, the gardens on fire. I, I was I was astonished that it went in, but then thinking more to it, that's not an accident. It's not something JV's not practicing. You know what I mean? That's something that he's continuing to work on and develop. And that jump shot looked amazing last night. Eight of fourteen from three. The little bit we saw of him in preseason, that was something that looked great about his game. Is that you know clearly taking a lot. I mean, he took twelve threes in the preseason game against the Magic, right? Took fourteen last night. So the little bit of a sample that we've seen of JB actually on the court this year, and he's taken twenty six threes in two games. Clearly, a spot of emphasis for him coming into the season. Yeah, and it's not even like he's taking those frees because he needs the volume to be a successful shooter. He's taking those frees because he's making them. He's improved his his um, efficiency, his accuracy from free. He just looks like um he looks like he's ready for his legitimate breakout year. Like we got it last year with that mid range flurry that we had towards the beginning of the year, and then he kind of tailed off a little bit. But like that never felt like a breakout year. That just felt like right. We're seeing what the Jalen Brown we've hoped that we'd see like it's one game so saying it's a break at you it's a super hot take i don't want to get too carried away <laughs> i'm with doing it. the same thing man i'm already saying he's he's more improved than i've ever seen before and it's one game you know but it's it, it's hard not to get carried away with a, a, a performance like that at madison square garden to your point earlier like that crowd felt like a playoff crowd you know what i mean it's opening night so i get there's excitement but it felt like a playoff crowd and there is a mystique that comes along with with madison square garden in the games that you see you know, guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant put up in that building. And it's a real thing amongst the NBA players in their community about what do you do when you go to Madison Square Garden? What, what's your game like when you go to the Mecca? Like, that's a point of pride and emphasis among NBA players and their peers. So for Jalen to do this, like, there's a reason we're, we're talking this this big kind of kind of takey, you know, notions right now. But Maybe they're not so takey. I don't know. But I'm with you. It's just a lot of excitement. So it, it's hard to, to rein it all in. But it's just an unbelievable night. From look, for me, look, I completely agree. Doing it under that pressure, like with the gar- being in the garden, opening night, coming back after quarantine, so you haven't been able to practice for 10 days. Now you're all of a sudden, your like, co-pilot, essentially, and Jason Tatum's just not scoring. He's, he's like, you know, he's on cruise control, having a nap in the, in the pilot seat. <laughs> So you you you're the man now. You need to step up. Um, I, so I do understand. Like, hey, there may be some basis to say like, oh, he's pros for a break, breakout year. One game in, I don't think that I can be willing to die on that hill just yet. <laughs> like, uh, I do think that his body control, both in finishing around the rim and in um, his pull up shooting, looked fantastic. Like his mechanics with his jump shot were super rep- repetitive. Everything was tight, compact. Um, he flowed from um, energy transfer from the legs to the hips to the arms. Everything just looked perfectly smooth. And then in like contorting his body around defenders on his way to the rim, being able to glide through contact, absorb contact, everything was there that you'd ask from a from a finisher. And then on defense, obviously, with that switch everything system, it felt like they were switching Brown to guard more off ball where I think he should have been put more into on-ball defensive situations because that's where his skill set truly lies on defense. But again, the Knicks were trying to force-feed um, Randall predominantly, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Fournier got hot and whatever. So, you know, they weren't really the right matchups to be throwing Jalen Brown into. So I understand why they put him more of an off-ball role just because, you know, whilst Jalen Brown, like, you need strength against Julius Randall. The dude's a truck. You know what I'm saying? Like against um, Evan Fournier, you need somebody with nimble enough to stay in front of him or stand his hip without fouling. 
So I understand why they used him in that off-ball capacity more. But man, like two-way J is ready to explode this year after game one. Hot take alert. And I don't yeah. know if I'm dying on this hill yet, but boy, it was such a fun performance, dude. Unbelievable, man. I mean, I, I feel like we could continue this podcast and just keep talking about how, how unbelievable, you know, he was. And yeah, I mean, I, there's nothing. I honestly, I don't have much else to say on Jalen Brown. It was just, it was just that. It was that amazing. It's fun to watch. I feel blessed. Feel yeah, blessed. it was, um, really, really enjoyable. And then, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm thinking through my head, like, who else played well? We'll talk about the schemes in a moment. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I see Grant Williams catching a bunch of heat online. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. No, man. I'm on the Grant Williams defense train right now. And, Same. you know, call it as I see. He got cooked by Julius Randle a few times. Yeah. Guess what? Grant Williams is a role player. He's guarding an all-star. You're, if you're a role player guarding an all-star, you're meant to get cooked. That's your job. Don't Your job is do not get cooked every possession. That's it. Because this guy is an all-star. You are, Make uh, him work. Make him work yeah, for make, Julius Randle hit several tough step-back threes on, on Grant Williams. And when he went to the... It's not as if he was just blowing by Grant Williams. Like, like, like let's, just, let's just say a fact for what it is. He's better than Grant Williams. That's, that's what it is. Like you said, it's an all-star against a role player. Like, if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, if we're playing a team where they have their, you know, reserve wing or reserve guard that's guarding them, what do you think we're, we're expecting? We're expecting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to do what they do as all-stars, go at that individual, take advantage, and score buckets. And, you know, Grant, to his credit, he didn't make it easy, you know? Randall, Randall pulled up. I thought Randall had a great game. Randall, I was actually extremely in, in, impressed with. Uh, I one of my questions for the Knicks coming into the season was is what we saw from Randall last year how legitimate was that I really like Randall but what he did last year was pretty insane um, last night was a strong indication that maybe it is because I thought he played really well and so you know I'm not going to fault Grant for not coming in and putting the shackles on Julius Randall that just feels unfair yeah like exactly that do you know what I mean like you see Marcus Smart guarding Julius Randall for certain possessions Randall's still finding a way to score Rob Williams goes on to Randall. Randall still finds a way to get his shot off. Like, if he's doing that against some of the team's best defenders and then you're upset with Grant Williams, like, I get it, Grant bit on a couple of pump fakes. That's fine. You want to be annoyed about biting on a pump fake? That's fine. Go ahead. I can understand that. At least there's some warrant to it. But then, like, you know, on offense, he was setting solid screens. He was moving without the ball. He hit a couple of threes in that fourth quarter to keep them in cash the game. Cash money Grant, baby. He did Cash money Grant. Cash money Grant. Like, Dude, that in my mind, that's part of what flipped this game. Like, obviously, the defensive pressure and, and getting those late turnovers certainly helps. But you know what? Those don't matter if Grant Williams doesn't knock down three threes in the fourth quarter. I think he might have had 11 points total in the in the quarter as well, including um, a steal and a layup that he got down the other end. So, you know, like, give give Grant some credit, guys. Like, like Grant had a really nice night filling in for Al Horford. And if you can get... Even, you know, 75, 80% of what Grant gave you last night, but in his proper role with Al Horford as the starter, it's a huge win for the Celtics. I, d I don't get people being, you know, on, on the Grant hate train last night, man. I just don't get it. Yeah, I think that a lot of people were like, oh, he's starting and we wanted player X to get the start. And maybe there was a little bit of that in there. And look, maybe. man, if you, if you don't like Grant Williams as a player, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. We're not saying, we're not telling you how to think or how to you know, policing you on how to be a fan. But if you're saying his production wasn't up to par, then I'm I, I'm going to want a discussion with you about that because I do think that he was 
above average in what he gave the Celtics for the role he was asked to play. So I'm cool with that. You know, at the end of the day, there's grant you don't make an all star team without smoking guys on offense. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You have to. And look, man, like you said, Julius Randall, I had the same question. Is Julius Randall for real? Unfortunately for Boston, it looks like he is for real. Luckily yeah. for Boston, he's the only star on that team. So the Knicks, you know, they're going to have to play through him. And if he misses some time, they're going to have a bit of trouble replicating that offense without him. Um, you know, Boston have two guys they can lean on. So when one decides to have a nap in the pilot seat, the other one can take over. <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> Which I mean, unfortunately <laughs> happened last night. But yeah, yeah, it happened, man. But look, it happens. It happens. Season, I ain't like, sweating it. If, if you're rusty or you come out flat in the first game of the season, I refuse to panic. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's the first game, first game of the year. If I take two weeks vacation from work and then I'll go back to work, if you think I know what I'm doing on that first day back, you must be mental because I'm telling you the amount of times I've gone into work and forgot what my role is and what it, what it entails. And that's after two weeks. Yeah, we've done that before where if we've taken a week off podcasting and we come back and we're trying to set up an intro and it's, it's the, I rarely do we ever have, you know, multiple takes on this show. But occasionally it's like, you know, hold on, I, I got to reset. I got to refresh my brain. I got to retrain. We got to reeducate myself on, on how this works, the rhythms of this podcast, of this flow. How do I transition? How do I make this this intro so that y'all want to keep tuning in and hearing us on, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday and keep checking back in for that good content? It takes repetition. It takes practice. And when you have a little bit of time off, you know, sometimes it just is what it is. And some nights there's just nights you're off. It's that simple. And like. We've seen, this is what, Jason Tatum's fifth year. We have four years of solid evidence that I would bet more times than not, Jason Tatum is not going to shoot two of 15 from three-point range, especially when a lot of those shots were makeable. Just the night he was off, and that's all it is. You chuck it up to a night as he's off, and in silver lining, they almost won the game still. You know what I mean? The Knicks are going to be a playoff team that are right in a similar tier as the Celtics. You think about a year ago with the depth that this team had of Jason Tatum has a 7 for 30 and 2 for 15 from three-point night. Probably no chance at that game. Yeah, exactly. This is a double overtime last-minute loss against another team that's going to be fighting for that, you know, three through six seed right there with you. And you're missing Al Horford on top of it. I'm okay with it. It is what it is. Wish we got the win. But let's not dwell on it, in my opinion. Do you know another guy who was off? Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, I felt like his shot was a bit too strong every time he released the ball. Uh, you know, defense was okay, but I just didn't feel like he was. He was. I, I never felt confident that Aaron Neesmith was going to pop for five to you know between five and eight points in a few minutes. Just get hot for a moment or two, and that's kind of the role you need him in, especially when Romeo Langford's getting the minutes as like the two way wing. Neesmith mm -hmm. needs to be your your heater, the guy you bring on to get that microwave scoring going, and then you can start. You know, you have a reason to keep him on the floor and let him earn, earn some extra offense. Yeah, he, he and Pritchard both went 0 of 7 combined, 0 of 5 from 3. That, that was a tough part of the game, and both only played 11 minutes. So I am curious to, to see what your thoughts might be on, on them getting a little bit lesser of the playing time than probably I would have expected, you know, um, just given the fact that we've touched a lot during the, during the preseason about the two of them's ability to stretch the floor. To, to be able to, to be true, consistent shooters, which, you know, last night it didn't happen. Um, but I thought it was interesting, the minutes they got. And, and yeah, that was that was one of the, the small downsides for the Celtics last night in the game, other than Jason Tatum shooting, was was that two other guys that they were really looking for to, to create that space just had off nights as well. Yeah, I mean, for Pritchard, like, 
I put the pressure down to adjusting to playing with the mask, right? Like that's going to affect your breathing. Yeah. It's going to affect the way you see. Your aim's probably going to be a little bit off. Your reference points might look a little bit different due to refraction off the mask or whatever. So if you want to go 0 for 4 or 0 for 3, whatever, I'm completely fine with that. It's an adjustment. I also think yeah. that played a part in why he only played 11 minutes. For Neesmith, I just don't know. What... Like in my head, I was at one point. I was saying to myself, I was, I was thinking to myself about this. Like, did Adoka have Neesmith and Romeo going against each other for a prominent role? Like, but they're kind of feels positions. like it. it does feel like it because neither of them have shared the floor for the large minutes together. It always it's always either or, right? And I feel like Romeo's won that battle as things stand, which is shocking to me considering how Neesmith like. You know, play, played in the playoffs, then he had a good um, summer league, then he had a decent showing in um, in preseason. But, you know, Romeo had a good summer league, probably not as good as Neesmith, but Romeo then balled out in preseason. And to be honest with you, that, that free ball looks real at this point. Yeah, it came you back know? last night, two of three. And I think I think he hit, hit one long two where his foot was on the line. So basically three three three-pointers that, that he made from that range. And that, that shot looked real, man. I think your Romeo stock is spiking right now. It's like Bitcoin. I mean, I've told everybody for like two years, man. I, I, I've rode this uh, train through the darkest valleys, man. I'm coming out the other side right now. But like, um, you know, the defense is there for Romeo. I think the handles are a bit tighter for him over Neesmith. Obviously, Neesmith gives you more of um floor spacing, more of a scoring threat. I'd like to. See, I wouldn't like to envision that they they have gone up against each other for one role and one's one and the other one's trying to claw that that, that role off the other. I understand the competition, you know, iron sharpens iron and all that. But at the same time, Neesmith and Romeo can play different positions and share the floor together. And I think that's where the the best upside for that pairing on that bench unit really is. So I was a little bit shocked by the Neesmith minutes. I was also shocked by um just the amount of Schroeder minutes, to be quite honest. I thought Schroeder played really well, but um, I wasn't expecting him to get the, the amount of minutes that he did. But maybe that, again, comes down to Pritchard not playing too tough. Yeah, I mean that could be part of it. I mean, I, I think I also think when you when you factor in, like we said, it's like a playoff environment. Last night, you know, Schroeder's a little bit more veteran. He's been through the playoffs multiple times. He's been in you know more high stakes situations. Um, I think that might have played a role. But I think I think the Pritchard face mask does. I think I think for me, what's going to be really interesting as we look ahead to as you're listening to this will be tonight's game against the Raptors. Uh, we don't know if Josh Richardson's going to be available. He's listed as probable as we're recording this. I wonder how his slot, and I, I assume he's not just going to be riding the bench. I assume he will be getting some playing time. But I do wonder how that factors into the Romeo Neesmith dynamic and how that starts to shift playing time, minutes, rotations. Um, you know, we won't know until that happens, but I do think it's an interesting storyline for us to keep an eye on as we move, as we navigate through the beginning of the season here, is to see how Ime really handles the development of those two young guys as well as mixing in a veteran guy like Josh Richardson and, and where he tends to lean and what those situations start to start to look like. One of the things for me was like, uh, you know, you've got no Al Horford, mm-hmm. so where's but you don't get no Juancho. That was interesting, I mean? right? That was that but, was that was that caught my attention as well. So I was listening to a Locked On Celtics podcast with John Corrales. I think it was not. I think it was. Not today's, not Thursdays, but it was Wednesdays. And he was talking about, hey, you know, the Celtics are about $5 million over the luxury tax. Maybe they're going to want to move somebody and open that for, um, that like final roster spot for, for when 10-day season comes around and stuff. 
and he'd use Juancho or Schroeder as options there. Uh, I'm just saying this in passing, like we don't need to spend too much time on it, but it's definitely something to focus on. Like I thought that, you know, Al Horford's not playing, so your four is already a bit weaker than where you'd want it to be. You're starting Grant Williams, um, you know, you've got Juancho on the bench that, you know, could come out and stretch the floor for you a little bit, give you a little bit of um, off-ball movement with his cutting and stuff. It didn't happen, so I get it. But at the same time, I, I just I was a bit shocked when your position, that one position's a bit weak. You brought this guy in, and he doesn't play, play a lift. Yeah, I mean, Grant Williams got 32 minutes, just under 32 minutes of run last night. And then you look at, I think, a guy that we definitely got to touch on for a little bit here, Robert Williams, played 45 minutes last night. Played over 30 minutes one time in his career. Played 45 minutes. So even when they were trying to steal some minutes with, you know, Grant as the small ball five, I did think it was interesting that they would that that, that Wancho didn't get a little bit of a run, or even Cantor for for that for that matter. And I know Cantor would get, can get killed defensively, which is a big reason why he doesn't play a lot of the time. But given our limitations with size and, and trying to you know create some different lines, I was very surprised at the two of them never saw the floor, even for a small stretch, just to get some additional size and length on the court. Because uh, there were times the Knicks took real advantage of that and were, were playing some bully ball with Randall and Mitchell Robinson uh, at different stretches. Um, so that was a definitely interesting to note that Ime did not go that route at all. Like, and you could understand it going against Robinson, like bringing Cantor on. You're just asking him to play drop. Yeah. But I know that Ime went to a switch one through four, which is what he spoke about at the end of the game, rather than switch everything, which means then you need your... Because like, if you if you switch one through four and Ennis Cantor's the guy that's on the floor, not Robert Williams, well, now who's going to guard Randall? Because... Cantor's not going to be able to deal with Randall. Mm -hmm. Cantor can deal with Mitch Robinson. You're just playing yeah. drop and protecting the rim. You can't deal with Randall that can, you know, score from the post, score from the mid-range, drag you out to the three-point. And then that, then you have to revert. You, you can't play switch everything to deal with Randall because you can't put Cantor in that system. So I do think that he, while Cantor probably could have added some physicality and some like good presence on the boards, the scheme that they were running to nullify Randall as best as possible just wouldn't have been it wouldn't have worked with Cantor on the floor. So I understand why he didn't play from a schematic point of view, but I also think that that physicality at times would have helped a bunch. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I was in that same boat, and I know. Uh, well, let's let's get let's get into some of the defensive schemes that that were run last night. And I know you had kind of a breakdown looking at this. That is it already up on Celtics blog right now? Adam? It is indeed. Yeah, it's live. It is live. It is called defensive breakdowns cost the Celtics in overtime loss to the Knicks. Perfect. Well, let's let's use that as a great segue here to talk about that for a little bit, because, you know, in live time and I, and I got to be honest with you, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game last night. And, you know, we talked at the beginning of the podcast what it was like to watch that game in real time. And what it was is it felt like the last six minutes of the fourth quarter through overtime felt like a separate game. And so trying to think back throughout the whole game of everything that happened, it's it's like I got blackout drunk at a certain point, and there's only like bits and pieces of it that come back to your memory. And so I'm excited to go back and read your article, which I haven't had a chance to do yet, and then rewatch the game to try to pick out some things. But in live time, 
uh, one of the things that that I noticed and was in, incorrectly noticed, I guess, at the time, based on Ime's comments, was that in overtime, when you started to see some confusion about Rob dropping back on that, you know, as you mentioned, he mentioned they started to only switch one through four. So therefore, Rob was not involved in that same switching scheme. And that's where Evan Fournier got a lot of those looks. And in real time, it was like, man, Rob is just forgetting the defense that we've been talking about all preseason with all of these switches. Come to find out he was actually in the correct. And it was whether it was Schroeder or Smart or Jalen was a bunch of different um, guys that there was kind of that miscommunication with that it was actually on them. So uh, tell us a little bit more about what in your watch you were able to find went right if anything or what actually really went wrong and ultimately cost him the Celtics last night with some of those defensive schemes yeah so like the thing is whenever you're doing a switch scheme there's usually three ways that three three ways that I class as the right way to counter there's probably more than this when obviously people that coach uh, at, a de- at a high level or analyze like they might come up to me and say hey there's this extra way to counter but the three counters I look for in a switch everything system um, is dribble handoffs, slip screens, and off-ball work, you know, set back screens, set cross screens. Just make it so as a guy tries to switch, they run into a screen, and now you're open waiting to receive the pass. Um, so the first thing that the Knicks did in the third quarter was start to run more DHOs on the perimeter. And, you know, that's just how, you know, if you're running a switch everything system, run a DHO, ask somebody to slip or to seal, and you've just got that little bit of room, or you can pull up directly behind the dribble handoff, as Evan Fournier liked to do. And the Celtics started going under. Now, I get it. Robert Williams, some players were expecting Robert Williams to step up and contest that shot because they thought that they were expecting this the one through five switch rather than the one through four switching everything. But, and I've put this in the article, relying on Robert Williams to, to basically contest every shot coming off the dribble handoffs on the perimeter, you know, switching, getting rubbed there, to, that's a risky strategy. Like you're you're expecting him to cover that ground every time and be able to alter a shot or deter a shot and then be able to keep on a guy's hip or operating like a lock and trail scenario. I've all I just think that you know you go over if you don't go under the dribble handoff you go over you pressure the ball handler and you let the big man take the other big man the the big that initiates the dribble handoff is going to do one or two things he's going to roll or he's going to stay stand pat and offer some spacing the defensive big just needs to make sure he's in the position to guard that big. I don't don't switch those DHOs and definitely don't go under when there's a big time shooter like Fournier, like Kemba Walker. It made no sense to me, regardless of what the scheme was, mm-hmm. why you would go under on a shooter like that. Because re- with or without Rob Williams, if they pull up from behind their big, so if they pull up from behind Julius Randle or from to the side, like just just off to the side of Mitch Robinson, how are you blocking that? You're not. Because you've gone under, and now all of a sudden there's just this entire shooting pocket that's there. So for me, that was one of the biggest lapses. I don't know if you had any takes on those DH shows. No, no. I, I mean, I really, I mean, that's one of the uh, the actions that I think we had talked about in the preseason as like, hey, what's something to watch out for as we're transitioning to this new style of defense? And you know, you talked a lot about it. It happened a bunch of times last night where you know Randall comes up and, and Fournier kind of curls around, gets that handoff and immediately pretty much rises into that shot. Yeah. And there's that split gap, that split timing where it's like you're kind of in no man's land. You're just you're really just hoping he misses. So I think for me, and, and this is something that that I love reading your work that you do on it when you have a chance to do these breakdowns, 
is really get a chance to lean into this a little bit more throughout the season. Because you think back to, to some of the comments in the preseason, and specifically, uh, I believe it was Dennis Schroeder that, that talked about this being very new to him as far as a scheme goes and not something that he had done in his previous stops. And so when you think about, you know, an NBA player, and he's one of the more veteran guys when you really look to this team at, at, at their different ages, you know, Schroeder's in year nine, which actually feels wrong. That feels weird. I still think of him as a little bit younger than that. I don't know if that's just me, but, you know, Schroeder's in, in year nine right now. And for him to come out and say that, and, you know, other than, uh, you know, other than Horford, I think he might be the oldest guy on, on the team as far as years NBA service. So for a guy like that to say that this is an adjustment period for him, you know the younger guys are going through it just as much, if not even more. And so the storyline of Ime's defense and how it plays out, I think is going to be a big early season conversation. And I'm excited to see if it's one of those, you know, practice makes perfect type situations where we just need to all kind of give it some time and we'll see how it develops. Or, you know, maybe it's just the, the wrong system for this team because that happens too with a new coach sometimes where they have a certain idea, they have an ideal that they want to implement, and it doesn't always go that way. So we'll have to see how flexible uh, Ime is to, to the system and how the system reacts to the players. Uh, but this is going to be a consistent storyline that, you know, I think we should need a little bit more time to give it some air to, to let it play itself out. Yeah, so, and I completely agree. I think that if it's not working, you do need to adjust. And Udoka did make an adjustment in that second half by asking Robert Williams to stop switching and to stay on Randall. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out. Apparently, the rest of the team didn't realize that, but exactly. yeah, he, he tried to make that adjustment. He tried to make the adjustment. Now, another thing that they were doing, and um, a lot of people don't like this, I understand the need for it, but I've always seen it as like... um. It's like a bailout option, in my opinion. And that's called a veer back. Now, so, you know, you've got offensive veer screens where you've got a big man who sets one screen and goes straight into a second screen. This isn't that. Veer back is when you run a pick and roll. And basically, if the big man slips before your... Before the, so if you set a pick and roll, so you're, you're defending the pick and roll. So if the offensive big slips his screen before the defensive big has time to react, then the defensive guard will we'll basically get in front of the rolling big man and really sink into his legs, like lower himself down. And that'll, that'll kill the roll. It'll kill a lob threat because if he tries to jump for a lob, it's an over-the-back foul. And you basically end flat that, that kind of rim-running vertical spacing. But I've always seen it as you do that if a big man, if the offensive big catches the defensive big off guard. It's not something that you go out of your way to do, right? But then you look at the way the Celtics did it, and they were purposely running via back. They were, and um, Ime spoke about this. He felt very comfortable with the smalls guarding Mitchell Robinson, which is why you found yourself in pick and roll situations. As Robinson rolled to the hoop, you would find yourself seeing Marcus Smart get via back onto him. Dennis Schroeder would spend time kind of, you know, doing the same thing, sinking into Mitchell Robinson's legs, stopping the roll, stopping, you know, fronting the post a little bit. And that's called a veer back scheme. Now, again, I've always seen it as a bailout. I, I didn't ever expect to see it as a primary pick and roll defensive option. Switching a guard onto a big for the sake of switching a guard onto a big just doesn't sit right with me from a everything I've ever been taught about basketball <laughs> type of standpoint. He may just reworking your brain over here. Adam. Yo, he's, going, he's going galaxy brain on the defense. But they did it in preseason too. So I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, they're veer, they're veer back. Schroeder, Schroeder keeps getting veer backed onto whoever. 
oh, Smart got veer backed. And then, like, you see, it in, you see it a couple of times, and you're like, oh, I'll go back and watch that pick and roll and see what went wrong to lead to this happening. And sometimes you just don't get the chance, right? You start yeah. re-watching the game, you go into other things. Then you see it in a regular season game, I'm like, okay, so something's not working here because it keeps happening. So I go back, I re-watch the game, and I'm like, no, 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 everything's working fine. This is by design. So just switch it and then him, and then I watched the press conference and he's like, yeah, we felt very comfortable with our smalls on Mitchell Robinson. But what happens if you veer back early and you get Mitchell Robinson in the mid post and he receives mm-hmm. the ball and just decides to back you down for the next two seconds and you dunk on some five foot two guards dome? Like I, I just think it's a again, it's another risky strategy that yeah. I don't think I'm comfortable with seeing all through the season. Obviously, my voice makes no difference to whatever Udoka <laughs> tries to do. But I was like, uh, I, I don't know how I feel right there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely, and I appreciate you breaking down that explanation. I think it was well done. And, uh, and it really paints a picture of, of what we've seen or what we saw last night, the other night in the in the opener. And, and it really does feel like, you know, throughout the preseason and last night that, that Ime is really, com- I mean, that that's part of the whole switching scheme in general, right? Is that you're comfortable with whatever the matchup is, you know? You're, you're just saying to your team, I trust you against pretty much whatever's coming against us. And it's a risky proposition. We'll we'll see how it plays out. Um, I like I said, I think we need to give this a little time to breathe, and we'll circle back to it. But certainly, it's going to be an interesting storyline here for us uh, over the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens come Friday night against the Raptors. Do you know what? Before we go, just before we wrap this up, one thing I was disappointed with was, um, and I'm I'm forever the optimist. Usually, I will talk about all the best bits, but this bit really got me. Throughout the preseason, they ran a bunch of sets, like set plays, offensive sets, mm-hmm. defensive sets. They looked really good. Um, you know, your sidelines out of bounds plays were looking good. Baseline out of bounds plays were looking good. You were running motion. You were running wide pin down, whatever you want to call it. We don't need to start throwing names out. You were doing stuff. And then there's like one play in the third quarter, and I remember it because someone had knocked my front door just as I was like shouting at my TV. So I must have <laughs> sounded like a lunatic because like, it's like 10 a.m. in England, and I'm like really balling at my TV. And you're running a, you're running a sideline out of bounds play. I think you were down by like two or four. It was a close game, coming up to the like midway through or towards the end of the third. And it's literally no movement. It's like on 2K, you know what I mean, where everyone's just standing there waiting for the balls to be inbound. I'm like, run something, set a down screen, back screen. I don't care what you do, mm-hmm. just create some movement. And uh, it just didn't happen. I was like, man, you, you guys catfished me during the preseason with all this beautiful off-ball stuff. And then it comes to the first game of the season, and I'm like, who's going ISO next? And, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, sometimes the old habits die hard. But I did like the way that they're using the back screen in transition. So usually you'll set a drag screen, right? When you big, you, your ball handler's coming up, your big or like um, a four or a wing will set a screen so you can come straight over it, pull up and shoot or drive the lane. What Imeodoka's got them doing is coming down, circling under and setting a back screen to create driving lanes. Um, I'll find a tweet for this because it's hard to explain. But it is beautiful. <laughs> it is very beautiful, and I hope that continues forever. That is one of my favorite additions of the Imeodoka playset right now is those early back screens. Very, very pretty to watch. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that will be, be interesting is to watch how the Celtics initiate their offense here. Because I think, you know, Marcus Smart, I I thought played an okay game and then had a really weird fourth quarter that I don't even know how to describe what the heck happened with Marcus Smart 
in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, he caps it off by hitting the game tying shot as the as the quarter expires. But but I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how the Celtics initiate that offense, because you're right. I think some old habits popped up at certain stretches like it wasn't throughout the game consistently. But I think there was a stretch in the second quarter, like towards the end, like up until about two minutes left, where it felt the Celtics missed about 10 shots in a row. And a lot of it felt like it was a lot of that one-on-one type iso ball. Uh, and then there was another stretch of that that I remember vividly in the third quarter as well. And, and so I think, like you said, maybe it's just old habits die hard. Because like it didn't happen every time throughout the game. But I do think there was a little bit of, I'm trying to think of... Uh, confusion as to, as to who's initiating because then at certain times luckily jb was just out of this world and he was like just give me the ball and get the heck out of the way um you know and then tatum would try and do the same but it wasn't quite working so you know but that happens from some from time to time and, and those guys are so good that there are times you're going to want them to just go ahead and cook but it felt like sometimes last night they kind of just fell back into that to that old rhythm so we'll see i, I think al horford being back or looking like he may play with i think it's still unclear uh based on conditioning if he'll be available friday night against the raptors so if not maybe sunday against the rockets um he'll be available i want to see what it looks like with al out there because i feel like a lot more offense is going to be run through al when he's in the game and so maybe that will give it a whole different different feel to it um but that was one thing i noticed as well is that some old habits creeped in um but yeah we'll, we'll see how that plays out as we go forward here I want Al to take like um a de aging pill and add an extra four years onto his career and then sign a max. That's what <laughs> I want to happen. <laughs> I agree though. I think Al's going to be huge for this offense and the defense. To be fair, I think yep. he's going to be great. But we are about to play. I say we like I'm part of the team. The Celtics are about to play the Toronto Raptors later today. When you're listening to this, not today when we're recording, because you know. We're in the future right now. You're listening to us. We're in the future. We're in the recording in the past. You're listening to us in the future. It's all confusing. Um, but the Celtics are going to play the Raptors. We're going to learn a bunch more. Hopefully they can, you know, fix how they're from. Well, I just don't want to see as many backs. Figure it out. Don't go under on every DHO. And Tatum is not going to play as poorly. And if we can get some more off-ball movement, some more um, motion-based offense that we saw during the preseason then that would be fantastic i would very much not like i'd very much like to not have been catfished you know what i'm saying i feel you adam i feel I'll you, let you lead us out today man i'll just throw the ball in your court you can lead us out yeah well don't don't, don't make it a marcus smart pass like he had in the fourth quarter up ahead to jason tatum as long oh, as a lot it's not of time <laughs> As long as it's not that pass, I think we'll be okay. But uh, once again, happy belated birthday, my guy. Always a pleasure joining you here on the Celtics Pod Podcast. Uh, this is always a, a good time for me to be able to join you and chop it up here. I know, Greg, and I love that you've been able to bring us along for this ride here. We're really happy to be your co-host in this journey. Um, Celtics are back, baby. NBA's back. Listen, it's 0-1. Let's not go crazy, folks. Let's go enjoy ourselves. We still got some more games to play by the time we're talking to you. Hopefully that win-loss column's a little bit different. So go enjoy your weekends. Go Celtics. And see y'all later. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne.